0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason
1: Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Thank you for joining us as always. Big show for you today. Bill Peterson, Commissioner of the North American Soccer League, will join us in nine minutes or so. We'll preview the 2015 NASL season. We'll talk about the ESPN 3 deal that will see all NASL games broadcast live on the internet for your perusal. Perhaps we'll talk about Minnesota United FC. Uh, there's lots to talk about with Bill. It's always a good chat. I uh, look forward to him joining us in just a couple of minutes. Perhaps you have thoughts on the USA playing Switzerland today. If I'm not mistaken, we should have a lineup for that game in about an hour. So we will still be on the air when the United States releases their their lineup to face Switzerland and hopefully overcome some of these problems that we've seen recently. Some of these problems that Jurgen Klinsmann may or may not be the cause of. It's fascinating in light of yesterday's discussion with Thomas Rongen. A couple of a uh, couple of notable news outlets picked up some comments from Thomas. Comments I kind of breezed by because you know what they didn't faze me too much. That com those comments specifically revolved around Jurgen Klinsmann and his fitness to be the U.S. men's national team head coach. Thomas said perhaps he's not the best fit. Perhaps he doesn't understand the American player quite as well as he needs to. Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley did, of course. Maybe Klinsmann does it. A couple of places picked that up. I saw it on my on my Facebook feed. I'm not a big Facebook guy, but occasionally I'll go over there check. See what's going on. And Sports Illustrated's write up of those comments, which occurred, which, yeah, appeared here. That's where they happened was posted to Facebook. Not by anybody I knew. I just, I, I, I guess I'm following Sports Illustrated's soccer page or something. And I looked, I took a peek at the comments. Now I know never read the comments. Never, ever read the comments. Never. I had no, I don't normally read comments. I decided to partake of these comments. Because it was an SI write-up of something that happened here at Soccer Morning. Lots of support for Jürgen Klinsmann. Now, I don't know that that's representative of the larger culture the larger fan base. I don't know that it's representative of Soccer Morning's fan base. Now, Obviously, not, not all of those people that were commenting on this post were aware of what Soccer Morning is. Perhaps most of them have no idea what Soccer Morning is. But lots of support for Jürgen Klinsmann. Lots of deference to Jurgen Klinsmann's resume, which obviously includes a lot of playing success. A couple people jumping in with, "Hey, great players don't always make good coaches." This is true. Some people saying, "Hey, perhaps he doesn't—he uh, doesn't quite understand the American player the way he should," as Thomas said, or perhaps it's uh, just not working under Jurgen. But lots of people still backing. Juergen Klinsmann, I find that fascinating. Not because they don't—they don't they're not have a right to their opinion, of course they do. Just the the sheer amount of support for Klinsmann. I think the man's got a built-up wall around him that protects him from the most ardent criticism. And I—I've even seen this thrown out there. And journalists are not the people you want to talk to when it comes to uh, whether or not a coach is being saying the right things, doing the right things. Typically, journalists are a little bit more uh, yeah, critical. It might be the way to go. Not all of them, but some of them. Some of those journal- journalists pointing out that back in 2011, when Jurgen cl- took the job, one of the things he pointed out was that there's not enough pressure on him or on the team in the United States. The culture is not caught up to that element yet. And now here we are in 2015, and he's questioning whether or not people should be questioning him. My, quite the turn. Before we get to Bill Peterson, a couple of headlines for you on a Tuesday morning. Remember that uh, that report that said Xavi was going to sign in Qatar in Qatar, excuse me. Apparently, Xavi is out there saying, "Hey, no, I just went on visit. I just went to I went to partake of the sights. Nothing more than a visit. It was just a visit, nothing more, just a visit." When I've when I have some news, I'll let you know this leaves open the door for perhaps New York City FC to get into the Javi business and we know Jason Christ has been out there sort of downplaying the notion that NYCFC would would need or want Javi and yes we're all chuckling at that okay I Jason Christ I understand maybe you have some formational things to sort out but you have Javi now Trevor Hayward is on I think he's on Jason Kreiss' side in this in this uh, situation I just I just can't imagine. Anybody? were there any coach with any knowledge of the game saying no to Javi? Yeah, like you can't really put a DP on the bench. So yeah, you got some things to sort out. I just don't know. So there's that. That's that window is still open. Uh, not uh, not a lot else happening other than a bunch of friendlies um, and a one Euro qualifier on the schedule today. Actually, before I get to that, a couple of notes and we're we'll absolutely Ask uh, Bill Peterson about this news. 17-year-old American striker Haji Wright has signed with the New York Cosmos. Bit of a surprise there. If only because, A, he come out he came out of the L.A. Galaxy Academy, and, B, he reportedly had European options. But if he didn't have European options or they weren't good enough, this is certainly a coup for the Cosmos. Could be a good fit for Haji Wright. He could get, uh, he, he, he's certainly freer to sign for whatever amount of money is offered to him, then he might be in MLS. And if he's not going to be a homegrown LA Galaxy player, and Lord knows they're jamming him in over there, and he might not see the field for a very long time, then uh, signing with the Cosmos outside of the MLS draft may be the way to go. Also, uh, in Europe, the European Club Association which is a big group of really rich clubs, the top clubs in Europe, I can't, I don't remember what the roles look like of the European Club Association but they're pretty deep. They have uh, agreed to a new deal with UEFA that uh that gives them a share of the money from the Euro uh Euro tournaments in two thousand two and sorry the Euro tournament in 2020 2000, That's a difficult date to say. The ECA agreed to a 209 million deal, 209 million euro deal. A $209 million deal two weeks ago to share among clubs worldwide for each of the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. They have a deal with FIFA to share the money there, and they have a deal with UEFA now for $214 million, $214 million euros in 2020. This is all over the map, this piece. I apologize. Those numbers got all mixed up. It's a lot of money, in the European Club Association... Uh, presumably, is going to spread that out. Now, this is the the part of the reason they do this is to prevent the the European Club Association and its member clubs from suing FIFA when a player goes down injured. We know that that's an issue: club versus country. When a player is injured on international duty, clubs want to recoup some of the money that they pay those players, and this prevents them from doing that. Uh, in sad news, the uh, the disappearance of a Cal Berkeley soccer player, Eloy Va- Vasquez has turned into a very sad story. He was found having been hit by a car and killed. This has been trickling around Twitter. I hadn't addressed it until today. I'm very saddened by the news that Aloy Vasquez uh, has turned up dead. Uh, best wishes to his family. Now, when it comes to those friendlies and the one European qualifier, here's your schedule in terms of television. Switzerland in the U.S. at noon on Fox Sports 1. That's the game most of you will be, will be watching, and I'll ask you questions about that later on in the show. Estonia and Iceland, noon on BN Sport. Russia and Kazakhstan. Russia coming off that terrible uh, situation in Montenegro. At 1 p.m. on ESPN 3. Ukraine and Latvia, 145 on BN Sports Connect. So that's your online service for BN Sports. Sweden, Iran, 215 BN Sports Connect. Netherlands and Spain, a big one, on BN Sports at 230. So BN Sports proper there. Italy and England on ESPN Deportes. RAI International and ESPN3 at 2.30. This is all Eastern times. Slovakia and Czech Republic, 2.30 p.m. Eastern. ESPN3, watch ESPN. The one European qualifier is Israel and Belgium at 2.45 on Fox Sports 1. Peru, Venezuela, 8 o'clock, BN Sports. Argentina, Ecuador, BN Sports, 8 o'clock as well in Spanish. Sorry, uh, Peru, Venezuela on the English channel. Argentina, Ecuador on the Spanish channel. Mexico and Paraguay, 9 p.m. ESPN2. And Unimas. All right, there we go. That's, that's good. I wanted to get all that in there in case you wanted to set up your day to watch some soccer. When we come back, Bill Peterson, commissioner of the North American Soccer League. Let's preview his big season. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. you the crowd. You're too loud. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go. Let's talk to Bill Peterson, commissioner of the North American Soccer League, who is on the phone with me now, just days ahead of the 2015 season openers for his league. Bill, how are you? I'm fine, Jason.
2: Thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for for coming back. Um, Big season. Um, Openers coming up here shortly. Uh, I looked at the. I'm looking at the schedule here. We talked to uh, Thomas Rongan of the new, of the Tampa Bay Rowdies yesterday. Obviously, they open up in San Antonio. You've got uh, Strikers Cosmos, which is just just rich with nostalgia. Plus, uh, two very good teams. What uh, what do you pick out? I mean, I know you can't pick favorites here, but where do you uh, where does your eye drawn?
2: You know, I think it's across the league in general, and I, I'm not just saying that. But uh, I, I've been most impressed the last three, two to three months with. The reports they get back of, of where our coaches have been and the scouting they're doing and the signing that they're bringing on and you know I, I won't uh I won't pretend that I can evaluate the best soccer talent in the world but I do talk to a lot of our guys and and the reports they give me on other teams other than their own uh, leads me to believe that we've made some serious upgrades to the rosters and. Uh, it's going to be an exciting, exciting spring season for sure.
1: Okay, well, let me ask you specifically about once that you don't have to pick. Jacksonville opening up their uh, their uh, their season and starting their lives as an NASL team against Edmonton at Everbank Field. What's the expectation there in Jacksonville for the home opener?
2: Well, from the community, the expectation. high. <laughs> he's done a great job of establishing that club, and everywhere you go, people are talking about it, or you're seeing something related to that uh, to that team. And I think they've got high expectations for opening night of being north of 15, 16,000 people, uh, for their inaugural game. And, and maybe it goes further than that. So they've done a great job of establishing it on the field. Obviously they, they started off the preseason strong. Preseason doesn't mean anything. They've uh, scrambled around the last couple of matches. They talked to Dario Sala uh, last Friday about watching their practice and you know, he thinks, he thinks they're good, but he doesn't know how good yet. So. That's always the beauty of uh, the preseason is, is never being quite sure of, of how strong you're going to be. But they have put a lot of effort and resources into being a, a top team in this league right out of the box. And they're playing to win. And uh, it's going to be an exciting night. I can't wait for uh, the first touch Saturday evening. It's going to be historical.
1: I. Nice. There's a theme among the, the Florida guys with their first year in charge of new teams. Uh, Thomas Rogan said the same thing. Don't know how good we are yet. So we'll have uh, we'll have plenty of time to find out, and if people want to see uh, just how good the Rowdies and Armada and everybody else are in the NASL, they have the ability to do that via ESPN three. Bill, just tell me the you know give me some nitty gritty here on what this ESPN three deal means for the NASL, and you know if you if you want to uh, promote where people can go to find uh, all the links to get there, let me know.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, it means a lot, though. So it's a continuation of, uh, you know, a small partnership we had last year. We had a game of the week on ESPN three and, you know, we're in constant contact with them and and also some other broadcasters. Uh, but they really stepped up and came back to us and said, look, we want to be your broadcaster. We want to put it on three. Uh, then in, during the conversations, they came back and said, we're going, we want to go international with this. So it's now in a total of 75 countries and, uh, even before we we announced the deal, they came back and we're talking about some other things in the future. So uh, it's a it's a developing relationship. You know, they're the worldwide leader in sports for a reason. Uh, they've been very good to us, and this 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 broadcast deal, you know, really exposes us to 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 soccer fans around the world. It's going to be easier for fans to follow us this year. There's going to be a lot more promotion associated with the coming out of ESPN and ourselves, but. But very simply, a team goes to their favorite, or I'm sorry, a person goes to their team's favorite website, and they'll be able to watch the matches uh, there each week.
1: And as you uh, as you go forward with this uh, broadcast deal, just uh, for my edification here, is this going to be like uh, local TV feeds that ESPN three is going to pick up, Are these going to be local broadcasters doing these games?
2: Yes. Yeah, so we've uh, we've made some significant upgrades to our broadcasting capabilities, and. And really raised our minimum standards. Uh, we've invested in, uh, proprietary trunk lines to carry the signals from our stadiums, uh, to ESPN, but they will be the local broadcast that ESPN is picking up.
1: So there you go. If you're, uh, if you're looking out, uh, looking out for any in 2015, ESPN 3 is the place to go. Um, and, and as, as you, as you peruse the league and you know ahead of the new season, now you know I know you've asked you've been answering a lot of questions about Minnesota United FC recently, Bill, and I'm certainly going to address that. But when you look at the the schedule and you consider the number of teams you have, and you and I have talked about expansion in the past, um, and I've asked specifically about about the Virginia team, uh, the Oklahoma City team, where do things stand right now in terms of adding teams to this league, and how quickly can you guys move on that?
2: Yeah, well, we'll move when we're ready. That's, that's been our position forever. We're not going to announce, uh, expansion teams until everything has been, uh, put into place properly and that we're satisfied that we're going to be able to launch and be successful. Uh, we're, we're, we're not under any pressure to expand on any timeline. So I know it, it, it drives some of the fans crazy and it drives, uh, some of the media crazy that we won't come out and say we're going to add three teams by, by next year or We're going to make an announcement in four weeks. But the fact of the matter is these things are complicated, and and a lot of things happen along the way from a time a group approaches you about being in the league until they actually get on the field. And, and, you know, we would just rather focus on our work and and get the deals done and get these people in place where they can be successful like Indy was, like Jacksonville will be, like Ottawa was in the last year or so, uh, and do this right. We have more interest it's from ownership groups than we've ever had. I mean, it's double digits that we're dealing with right now. Are all those going to come to fruition? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Are they serious? Yes. They're all people who have the financial wherewithal. They're all cities that we're interested in. But things will happen along the way. And a lot of times what happens, is these guys who have initial interest, once they realize the work that's actually involved to launch a team from scratch and to be successful, you know, they bow out. They're like, you know what? I've got other things I'm doing, or or this is just too much. And they go by the wayside. So again, a lot of things happening in that process. We've never had more interest. We will expand. There's no there's no doubt about that. We're going to get to 18, probably 20 teams in the next three to four years, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, and this is going to be wildly successful. More and more people understand the model. There, they understand the opportunity. We have teams that are very, very successful, uh, both financially and obviously on the field. And that's attracting interest, not only from the United States, but from all over the world. So we're going to just keep, you know, being patient, working through that. We'll announce them when we're ready. And, uh, you know, what I will say definitively is we will be expanding, right. uh, in the near future.
1: Uh, you, as you said, if, if 18 to 20 teams in the next two or three, or the next three to four years, or, or whatever that timeline you gave, that vague timeline is, is certainly. Uh, aggressive growth, and and I, you did say that the league's not in any pressure to expand, but I, is does that does that do you mean that there is no pressure to get to the West Coast by a certain uh, point in order to maintain your second division status?
2: You know, we don't worry about that. We have enough interest in the West Coast, and we're going to get there. And you know, I don't think U.S. Soccer is going to come back and try to pull our our designation or or, or our uh, you know. Take us out of of play because we don't have a team in the West Coast. What we what we've proven is we're capable of building very strong teams, and we're we're expanding very widely in how we go about all of this. Mm-hmm. And they, I assume, are very proud of the efforts we're putting in, and we will realize that we'll be on the West Coast when it makes the most sense. Uh,
1: and and I just you know housekeeping here. And again, I, I know I, I ask you about Virginia all the time because they're local for me, but. Is yep. they, are they, are they as, as, you, as far as you see it right now, is that a dead project and the same thing goes for Oklahoma City?
2: Well, I can't say that Virginia's dead because there is a group uh, of owners who are engaged in trying to sort out uh, the infrastructure, the stadium situations uh, that might be available to them. And the word they've given us is that they can, if they can sort that piece out, so short-term, long-term, uh, stadium plan which is one of our prerequisites then they're ready to move forward with the rest of the process we know them very well we speak to them every two weeks uh, unfortunately they haven't been able to resolve this issue which is a big one if it happens I would expect the team there. If at some point they raise their hand and say we've tried everything it doesn't work then it goes away but nothing has really changed other than you know they continue to work at this Oklahoma City is a different uh, it's a completely different situation. I'm I'm very uh optimistic that we're gonna have a team in Oklahoma City. It's uh it's a matter of when everything gets wrapped up, but there's been a lot of progress there and okay. uh you know, we'll see. I I can't predict when we'll be finished but uh, I really expect we'll have a team there in the near future. All
1: right, I, I saw the um, I saw the statement issued by your league, Bill, when uh, Minnesota United FC was uh, introduced as a as the next MLS expansion team at Target Field last week. Um, I, I completely understand the position of the league, but at the same time, that the problem with with losing a group like uh, like Bill McGuire's group is that, as you said, sometimes people take a look at this, realize how much work is involved and then step aside, there you had a, a committed ownership group that was pushing that team forward, that had done lots of good work considering some of the uh, the issues that that club had had or I- various iterations of that club had had. W- what does this mean for the NASL, and, and what does it mean for that particular market for your league?
2: Well, look, it's it's it's. I guess it's unfortunate, but at the same time, we're not sitting around uh, uh, really worried about it. It's, it's It's where the game is in this country. I mean, think about it. Last Wednesday, that team and those players and that owner were in NASL at 10 o'clock in the morning. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon, they were in a different league. What changed? They wrote a check. I mean, that's unfortunately, in my opinion, the state of the game today. It's their choice. It's a free country. We wish them well. But those things are going to happen as long as we continue to be, to be organized the way we're organized. Teams are going to move around, up, down, and around. Uh, to places they feel are, are best for them. Minnesota was a unique situation. There was an absolute effort being made to put an MLS team in with the Vikings and play in the Viking stadium. Our owner felt like he wanted to represent professional soccer in Minnesota. And ultimately, you know, he knows the details. You can talk to him about it. But at some point, he made the decision to do that. And uh, there's nothing stopping him from doing that. And so, you know, again, we wish him well. But, you know, we've got our own plan and we'll move on. There's not a league in this country that has started, that hasn't had teams, uh, move and fold and change ownerships. And we're not going to be any different than, than any other league that's been here. So, uh, it, it just is what it is. I, I don't like that, that term, but it is what it is. And, uh, we'll move on. They'll move on and, and uh, you know, It'll
1: be part of history. Well, Bill, I mean, look, I've heard the argument, uh, as you just laid it out there, that that uh, Dr. McGuire and his group felt like they didn't really have a choice if the Vikings were going to get a team that was obviously going to cause problems within the Minneapolis-St. Paul market for them as a soccer club. But at the same time, there's a there's a truth to the fact that right now, in order to get, and they don't have a stadium deal done, but they've got some things in place, in order to get a stadium in a downtown location with public help on some level, whether it's infrastructure or otherwise, teams, you know, that that's more of an MLS thing than it's than it's been an NESL thing. How do you guys get to the point where cities want to build, even if it's not a 25,000-seat stadium, but something something nice, something appropriate for your league that can showcase your product in a an environment that's not 45 minutes removed from downtown?
2: Uh, fill the stadium that you have and become very relevant in the communities and in things like Indianapolis and Jacksonville and Fort Lauderdale, among others, uh, or the San Antonio situation come along and you end up with stadiums. I mean, you know, uh, that team was not filling up the stadium, although it's in blame. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they, they made the choices they needed to make or they felt they needed to make and uh onward they go. What we have to do uh is continue to grow. Remember, we've only played four seasons. Mm-hmm. So let's not get too far out ahead of ourselves. We're doing pretty well for we're only playing four seasons. We continue to grow at double digit rates across the board and everything we measure. Uh, we've got to continue to do that, establish our relevance, establish a competition. And the one thing that I know is changing this country and that the people who are in power in these cities definitely understand the power of soccer. And they're definitely much more open to cooperating and getting a stadium built. Now, what's also happening is there's some fatigue in certain cities where the taxpayers especially are, are are done funding stadiums for professional organizations. So we have to overcome that. They've been very creative in Indianapolis with a plan there. Uh, everyone's still very confident that it's going to happen, but they've only played one season. So... They're going to continue to do what they're doing, and the same thing in some of our other cities. And, you know, if you prove your value uh, to the taxpayers, to the fans, to the businesses in the community, you'll end up with those stages. But it takes work, and it takes, uh, you know, uh, some success and work getting there. But, again, after four seasons, uh, I'm not too concerned about it. We're well on our way, and maybe beyond where we should be with some of these conversations.
1: Fair enough. And and certainly I think there's an open question as to whether or not the way the structure works right now with, as you said, the Minnesota group cutting a check and moving up a division is best for the game and, and best for for um, the growth of the game in this country. But at the same time, as you said, this, it is what it is. And yet we have to wonder at, at what point does somebody and, and I'll lay this at your feet, Bill, as you're the one I'm talking to. At what point does somebody say, OK, well, let's let's open things up. Let's find a way to to interact with a division lower than us, because it's the only way it's going to happen first in order to promote some sort of idea of, of movement between divisions. If you're if you're sitting there and you have a goal of 18 to 20 teams and. In three to four years, is it necessary that those that those additional teams come from wholly new creations?
2: No, it doesn't. And we'd be glad to sit down with anybody that's involved in the game right now and have those conversations. There's some challenges to it today, and and some people have rightly identified uh, that there are major steps, if you will, between three, two, and one, uh, as it relates to uh, the finances, especially. And so we we need to find a way to overcome that. Can it be overcome? Absolutely. Look, there's so many smart people involved in this game, and there's so many people that have been involved for a long time and understand models of what works and what doesn't work. Ah.
1: Uh sorry guys just lost my connection to i that's rampant frustration on my part i just lost my connection to bill peterson for no apparent reason let me see if i can pull this up trevor do you want to go to a break here and see if i can get bill back for just a, a couple more minutes let's do that let's go ahead and take a quick break i apologize it's a technical issue on my end it's not bill let me take a break when i come back we will talk again to bill peterson hopefully from the NASL. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, so we've got the gremlins out. I think Bill Peterson is back on the line. Bill, I apologize for the interruption. There, we were we were certainly talking about one of the more interesting things that you regularly address, and is the, it is the movement between divisions, and and I, as you said, some of the financial elements of this are, are what makes it very very difficult. But and, and you have been consistent. In your uh, in your belief that the conversations need to be happening, but I, I guess I guess then what we need to get to in terms of a practical, uh, a, a practical idea is is how those conversations even begin. Who do you who would you even talk to in in order to, to to consider say some sort of promotion into NASL?
2: Well, I think it has to begin with the federation, and they're going to have to support the conversations occurring because ultimately they're going to have. Say and how this works, and then you know we'd love to talk to the USO guys. We met them uh, a couple weeks ago. You know they've gone through some changes, and yeah, you know, we we told them anything anything you want to talk about, we're willing to sit down and have conversations because it's for the improvement of, of the sport. And, you know, there's a number of issues we should be discussing, whether it's health and safety issues mm-hmm. or uh, you know some other things along those lines that really don't tie into the business or the competitive piece, but are important. For our players and our fans, you know, we should be working together on those, mm-hmm. and I think that starts with uh, with U.S. soccer, and then hopefully some others would, would be interested in it.
1: I was going to say, I, I was going to say, officiating as well. Can you guys get together and everybody talk yeah. about officiating a little bit? That uh, that might be yeah. a good thing for the American soccer fan. All right, so you, you've got um you've got a new season coming up. Oh, uh, another element, another uh, bit of news that I wanted to mention to you, Bella, bring up and, and get your thoughts on is the. The signing of Haji Wright by the New York Cosmos, he's obviously a talented young player, came out of the LA Galaxy system, a U.S. international at the youth level. What does it say about uh, the NESL and about the Cosmos in, in particular that Haji Wright decided to sign with them?
2: Well, I think it's a huge statement on, on you know, the system that we have in place. I think it, it, more and more of the players and more of the agents are starting to understand that we have a, we have a totally free market system, free agent system, if you will, in NASL. And, and here's a gentleman who decided that he wanted to play at a high level, but be part of, you know, what we call the global soccer economy. Uh, I don't know the exact term, uh, the length of his term, but he's going to be able to go out in the marketplace as a free agent and test his value, uh, sometime in the near future when he's still young enough to make a difference. So, He's taking control of his career, and I think you're going to see more and more people make those decisions uh to come into this league. We're playing at a high level. He's going to be challenged. He's also got an interesting opportunity to work with Raul and Senna. I mean, for a young guy, that's just an incredible experience, but they're expecting him to go on the field and contribute. Uh, I expect he'll do that, Uh but the real key here is uh, there's an agent and a player decided to take their their destiny in their own hands and control it uh and and I think we'll see more of that as it goes along so we're we're excited to have him in the league we're excited to watch him develop and contribute and and uh you know we've got maybe a decade and a half to follow him uh in his career so it's exciting
1: uh just a couple of things from twitter uh people throwing out questions bill i'm not going to blindside you with anything here, but Vincent Toronto wants to know. Uh, what the future for the NASL is in Canada, considering that MLS uh, doesn't have plans to expand there anymore?
2: Yeah, you know, we would like to see two, at least two more teams up there in the short term. And and, uh, and we've talked about the past. We've talked with CSA about working with them to develop even more teams. But just from our perspective, uh, I believe there's at least two more good opportunities up there. I, I don't think we've done a great job with the last, I'd say, nine months. We've we, we sort of had a plan, and we wanted to execute it, and we just haven't done a good job. So I've reached out to our owners in Canada said, look, let's get the season started, and I want to have a, a task force of owners and some other people who are influential in Canada, and, and let's get off of our chairs here and, and get busy uh, in some of these cities and figure out whether there's a future for us or not. So we'd love to have at least four. Uh, we're open to more teams there uh, as as needed, if you will. But it's it's on me. It's on it's on our group here. We need to get busy with
1: it. In terms of the uh, the the now, obviously this is about the ownership groups, Bill. And I imagine that that you guys aren't out there picking cities. You may have targets. Hey, this would be great. This would be great. But you need that group in place. The the people who are solidly behind the league, who are supporting the league, who have the the wherewithal and the uh, and the work ethic to make it happen. But are you? Are you conscious of the choices that you're making in terms of of markets? Um, I don't know. I mean, again, it's sort of in light of what happened in Minnesota and maybe what hap- what's going to happen in Al- Atlanta as well.
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, we we take a, a look at each market and evaluate each one on on uh, you know similar set of criteria. Uh, but again, we always try to make the decision that we think is best for us, not what affects someone else or how someone affects us. But but look, right now we've got two or three different groups of owners uh, coming, approaching us. One is the person who is, is uh, you know, in a community, is passionate about his community, passionate about soccer, understands uh, what this could mean to his community, and he wants to own a team. We're starting to get a lot more interest from foreign clubs who understand that participation in NASL allows them to participate in the global player market. They can establish uh, their academies and uh, and search for players here that they, they believe exist and we believe exist and develop players with their coaches. And the third group are people who are invested in the sport from around the world who are in it for similar reasons. They're looking at, hey, here's an opportunity to, have, to get in on uh, professional soccer in the United States, the structure that we recognize, Gives us the ability to develop players and move players and, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a change from where we were probably two years ago for sure, maybe even a year ago. Uh, so that's going to drive some of the, the location issues as well. So if it's a team coming from, let's say, south of the United States, they might be more interested in certain cities than a team coming from Europe or investors coming from Asia or other parts of the world. So, it's actually created a little bit of flexibility for us now, whereas before, if we wanted somebody on, if we wanted to club on the West Coast, we were sort of waiting for a West Coast ownership group. Now there might be the opportunity to tie in one of these forum groups with the locals and mm-hmm. get that done uh, even quicker. So uh, the dynamics changing as more and more people start to realize uh, who we are, what we are, what their opportunities
1: are. Does that does that mean a direct connection, perhaps to a to a to a, a big foreign club and, and creating sort of a, an American outpost? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. It, 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 I got to ask you in, in this vein as well. Is is the NASL playing any role at all, or are you? I'm sure you're closely watching the situation, but do you have anything um, anything in particular that's of interest in in San Antonio with a potential sale? Is that going to impact the league?
2: Well, it just depends, I guess, who it's sold to and what their plans are. I mean, you know, we're, we're very open. Uh, we would like that club to stay in the NASL and for the new owner to stay in the NASL. And my understanding is that some of the people who are shown interest, uh, are interested in staying in the NASL. Uh, if it goes a different direction, you know, that's, that's sort of out of our hands, but mm-hmm. you know, we're pretty confident that, uh, that's a great NASL market. Uh, I think if I was buying that club, I'd definitely stay in this league for for some period of time. I don't know what that is. I would stay forever, but you know, <laughs> somebody might want to take a look at it. So uh, anytime you're going through a process like this, you can't predict what's going to happen, but everyone knows our position and we feel pretty strongly that, uh, you know, we, we're hopeful anyway. Maybe I should say that we're hopeful that it'll stay uh, with us.
1: Uh, you have your season opening up on Saturday, Bill. We've, uh, we've already talked about this before we were uh, so rudely cut off by Skype. Uh, you've got a full slate of games <laughs> here. Uh, I, I did ask you if you had any, uh, particular, um, place you were looking. Now, the whole league as a whole, obviously, uh, is your, <laughs> is your concern here. Uh, beyond Jacksonville opening up and, and uh, again, you know, this is, um, your fourth year, right? Is that what you is, is that is correct, right? No,
2: that's only my third,
1: third. Well, what? not okay, your third, but the league's fourth. That's what I meant to say. Apologies. The NASL's league uh, the league's fifth. Excuse me, the league's fifth year. Um, and, and you have got uh, again, you got a you've got teams that have been established for a while. Brand new team in Jacksonville. You get the the legacy of, of some of these NASL names. I, I guess in terms of a a coherent direction, are are you guys? Are you guys in, involved in sort of, um, do, I don't know, aiming the, the, how much nostalgia can you, can you actually lean on? How much of this is going to be new? How much of this is going to be? I mean, there's still opportunities out there to sort of trade on, on the past, but that may not always be the best way to go.
2: That's right. And so we really leave it up to the individual owners. And, uh, you know, we feel like we have a position either way. So if there was a team in the city that we're looking at expanding, that, you know, we encourage everybody to dig in and figure out if that has value or not. And the value is not so much it's going to attract fans. I mean, that was a long time ago for sure. But I think the real value is reestablishing the fact that this league existed and was successful up to a certain point. And, uh, and played a role in the development of U.S. soccer. Maybe it's should be personally, but you know, I like the historical aspects of it, and uh, some of the names were really cool, and, and I think do have value. But if, if a group looks at it and says, you know, that doesn't fit into our personality or we feel too much time has passed, then by all means, move forward. and And we'll continue to sort of honor that past and bring it along with us, but at the same time, uh, it doesn't dictate any decisions we 're making going forward guys- we're, we're happy to have clubs uh, uh, bring those those guys those names back, but if they don't want to that 's
1: fine so do you guys do you guys have copyright claims on some of these old names? I mean if somebody wanted yep, to do a- we,
2: yeah. yeah we do we do we're uh, we're about to introduce a license to deal with a company that's going to bring a few of them back as well Sweet. and do some retro uh clothing and stuff like that we're excited about that I- we're going to do some more on our own sites with uh, some of
1: that as well. Excellent. I think that's uh, I think that's big news for a lot of people out there who uh, fondly remember the NASL or even some of the younger crowd who want to go back and, and uh, ch- uh, again, grab some of that nostalgia. Bill, uh, again, big weekend coming up. Um, where will you be? Are you going to be tar- partaking of a game in person or are you going to be uh, at home watching on ESPN3? No, I'll, I'll go
2: out. I'll go out about uh, every other week or at least twice a month. And, uh, you know, I enjoy being out there and talking to our people in the clubs, the fans, and, and experiencing it myself. And obviously with Jacksonville's inaugural game, uh I'll find myself there this Saturday night and then uh in Indianapolis the following week. But uh, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I don't think I've slept through the night for two weeks. I'm so excited. I, I just think it's going to be a very competitive year. It's going to come down to the wire again. Our teams are going to play some great soccer, and that's that's what this is all about.
1: There you go. Bill Peterson, commissioner of the North American Soccer League, kind enough to join us again to talk about the 2015 season and some of the things swirling around NASL. Bill, thank you for your time and your candor. I appreciate it as always.
2: Thanks, Jason, for having me on. I always enjoy it. Have a great day.
1: There you go. Uh, Bill's gone for, for uh, appropriately this time. We actually are ending the, t- the interview. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, 347 756 Six two seven six. We can talk in ASL. Talk about yeah, everything that was included in there, and the uh, the uh, U.S. men's national team playing in about an hour and a half. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
1: Uh, here we go. Back on Soccer Morning with the phone lines wide, wide, wide open. 347-756-6276. Seven, seven, six, six, you want to unpack some of the comments from Bill Peterson of the NASL uh, in relation to their relationship with MLS, uh, their uh, intentions to consider Promotion, relegation, their expansion plan, the the league season coming up, the debut of the Jacksonville Armada. That's going to be a success for NASL. At least it looks like it will be on the surface at the beginning. Take calls on that. As I said, the United States and Switzerland playing in about an hour and a half. If I have that that right. I think we should get a, a U.S. men's national team lineup here shortly, which we can certainly discuss. Or whatever else is on your mind, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's oh, it's what we are wide open. Now we are going to. I forgot to mention this, Trevor. <laughs> we are going to start screening calls next week. <laughs> Do we want people to be surprised by that? Was that supposed to be? You did announce that on Twitter, Trevor. But apparently, we're going to start screening. Now this is more for organizational organizational purposes. That way we'll be able to get you get you lined up. I think you'll be able to actually hear the show while you're on hold, which we never had the capability of doing before. I won't be identifying people by their area codes anymore. That'll be something that'll, that'll go away. Two years, two full years of identi- identifying callers by the area code. Should we pour some out for that? I don't know if we should. All right. So we've got the U.S. and Switzerland today. And and I think this is where we turn now. Not, not just the problem with Jurgen Klinsman's tenure as U.S. men's national team head coach in a lot of ways is that the focus has tended to be on him. The focus has tended to be on his program, his philosophy, his kumbaya stuff, his, we got to work harder, his, uh, his, his intent that was not, that's not followed through, followed through on when we should be also talking about the players and the makeup of the player pool and the lineups that he puts out. We talk about the lineups, but then we put that back on Klinsman. Because what does he do? He throws guys out there in positions that they don't typically play, asks them to, to, to do jobs that they don't typically do, and occasionally they fail at those jobs. Then we blame Jurgen Klinsman for putting him in that position. I think that's that's the fairer way to go. But then you have to ask, does the United States have the players necessarily t- necessary to get the job done? Do they have the players necessary to, to play in any type of style that is divergent from what they've done in the past? we spent a, a decade and a half, longer than that, but let's just go with a decade and a half, sitting in, uh, sitting in defensive numbers and countering. I mean, that's a simple way to say it. It's obviously... Much more complicated than that, tactically speaking, and we should give full credit to Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley for making those teams effective, doing something that people tend to look down their noses on now, or they d- at least they did five years ago. Things have changed, certainly changed a bit. Tiki Taka isn't out, but neither is it quite as in as it used to be. And I look, you you can. We could all dream of a day that the United States plays like Germany. Germany has some amazing soccer players. The United States doesn't have those soccer players. That makes it difficult for Klinsman to put out a team that can possibly even come close to playing the way, say, Germany does. In the United States, should, should the United States, and this is a question I've asked several times, especially since Jurgen Klinsman has been in charge. Should the United States identify a style that is more appropriate to the type of, of player that they have now and stick to that style because it probably brings more success, or should we go through this difficult process of trying to overhaul what the American soccer style is? Vincent Toronto, what's up?
3: Hey Jason, how's it going?
1: Uh it's good. You are you're, you're you're on this show twice today. I mean I already name checked you once.
3: Oh yeah, that's uh Uh, let's hope I can continue calling it in the future.
1: Okay, what's going on?
3: Um, You know, uh, before I get to what I want to talk about, um, you know, I I do understand what the U.S. thinks of Klinsman, because I do think the real worry is that at the end of everything, uh, 2018 comes, and the U.S. uh, hasn't changed at all. You know, you got some nice dual nationals on your team, but uh, that promise, that Klinsman, you know, uh, the promise of changing the entire philosophy just doesn't come, and then you know, you feel like you've wasted two cycles of just a guy saying, uh, basically blowing smoke up your ass. That's that's uh, the the brutal way to put it.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, and again, you you there there's two different uh, notions here. Obviously, Sunil Gulati is in the camp that we need to change something. The United States needed to change something. That we needed to have a different mentality about how we go about the game. And then in order to bring about that change, Jurgen Klinsmann needed to come in. Somebody did, but Jurgen Klinsmann happened to be his guy. I don't know that there isn't if people really thought about it, if we couldn't come to some sort of peace over the notion of just being a counterattacking team, that doesn't mean that you're not producing good players. It doesn't mean that you're not playing good soccer. You're just playing a soccer that is not as in vogue, maybe, or not technically as, as, uh, you know, aesthetically as pleasing. Why is it necessary for the United States to turn into a country? Is the ceiling higher? Is that what we're going to say here? The ceiling is higher. Is that the way to go?
3: Maybe. I mean, you know, perhaps Clifton simply believes counterattacking, uh, you can only succeed so much with counterattacking football. Um, and, you know, that's basically it. He doesn't believe that you he can, can take the U.S. to where it needs to go by playing that style. Um, and, you know, uh, is that true or not? Maybe. Uh, but, but um, I
1: guess, Vince, the the, the other question here, here is why can it, why is it, uh, why, why are the – the idea of becoming a better possession team, or a better team on the ball, a better technical country, a better, a, a country of better technical players—why is that mutually exclusive from playing the the style that Americans have traditionally been most successful with?
3: Yeah, uh, I wish I had an answer for you, Jason. But uh, honestly, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, and I don't know what to think of Clinton and whatever he's doing. By the way, at what this do you, point, what? everybody just wait and see what happens. But we've been waiting to see what happens for uh, two, three years now, right?
1: Yeah, should I, but uh, full congratulations to the Canadian national team winning back-to-back games. Right? Benito-Floro's got it going, right? Puerto Rico 3 yeah. yeah, nothing.
3: So you could say, Jason, that we just beat the U.S.
1: <laughs> could you say that for real? I don't know. Uh, no, but yeah, it's
3: uh, it's definitely uh, a step in the right direction. Kyle Laring getting his first professional goal, um, and hopefully he'll, he'll be able to translate that with Orlando City. But overall, three goals from open play. We haven't scored from open play in God knows how long, so that's, uh so that's a that's a big plus Jason. I just want to get quickly to, to the NASL talk. Um I always find it interesting that uh that you know in in this part of the world we're fans of leagues. You know, you don't get that in Europe. You don't see people saying, "Oh, I only watch the 2 Bundesliga" or you know, uh "League duh is is you know my league of choice." But here you have MLS fans, you have NASL fans. Instead of, you know, "I'm a fan of the Jacksonville Armada" or "I'm a fan of Real Salt Lake." Um it, it it's just weird when you think about it how these leagues uh, while supposed to be existing under this pyramid are almost pitted against each other over you know soccer viewership in this country um while that's not really an part of the world
1: I agree with it's, it's it's an odd situation I don't think it's healthy in, in the long term and it's been that way for it's been that way for a hundred years I mean the United States has gone through league after league after league because whenever one popped up to have any sort of decent success, another one popped up. To completely, dire- uh, to directly compete with it. And they've cannibalized each other and they've gotten into fights over, um, uh, uh, over their, um, their sanctioning. They've gotten into fights over stadiums and, and ownership and players. And, uh, it, it's never worked out. And I hope, and that's, that's, it's not that I have a particular, um, mm, It's not that I have a particular dog in the fight. I'm not backing MLS versus NESL. I'm not backing NASL versus MLS. Mostly it comes down to this philosophy that the two leagues espouse in terms of financial restraint and the more open model, et cetera, et cetera. I just want them to get along so we don't end up with a bunch of clubs who are 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 falling apart, disappearing, and then a league that goes down. I don't I don't want NESL to go down. I want the NASL to continue to grow and be successful. But I I do see some problems in the way that these two leagues are going at each other, maybe not directly, but certainly indirectly. And now, as I said last week over uh, Minnesota United's announcement, we get a sort of passive-aggressive war of words, which, again, doesn't serve anybody any good.
3: No, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm starting to think that if the NASL does indeed, you know, God forbid – Collapse on, onto itself because of what's happening, and I don't think it'll happen. But I, I usually see Bill Peterson packing his bags and 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 you know moving the NASL to Canada uh, because we are willing here to talk with the NASL more than perhaps uh, cities in the U.S. are willing to talk with the, with the NASL. Um, and he's already brought it up that he wants to put more teams in Canada. Well, um, and yeah, and it's it's there's a lot more that has to happen first. Um, but, you know, if I'm, if I'm Bill Peterson and if I'm the NASL and I'm seeing a lot of resistance coming from, you know, the West Coast as we've seen the issues there or, you know, giving a franchise to a team who then in two years will flip you and say, yeah, well, thank you for the opportunity, but, you know, we're taking our talents to MLS. while, you know, right to the north of them, he has a whole country that's dying for professional sure, soccer. Sure. Um, you know, well, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the choices, uh, change. Um, and so it'll, it's, it's disappointing to see because I want soccer and CONCACAF to be as healthy as can be, uh, to see this happening between leagues. But, you know, uh, we'll see what happens,
1: Jason. Look, I mean, whether you like MLS and the way it operates or not, it does, it did start in 1996. It does have a 20, you know, a 16 year head start on, on this version of the NASL. They are established in the bigger markets of the country. And, and NASL with their approach, rather than sort of saying, well, we can find a nice, strong second division niche here, with places like Oklahoma City, with places like maybe not Jacksonville—that's a—that's an NFL town. It's got a—it's got a sizable uh, footprint. But some of these other places, Raleigh, instead of deciding to just slot themselves into that place, they started—they started to try to butt up against MLS. And e- even then, I don't blame them for Minnesota United FC. That's not—that's not the NASL's fault. That's the fact that the, the the fact of the matter is MLS is still the big leagues and is going to be the big leagues for the foreseeable future, which is why I wonder where NASL should look. And you mentioned Canada, and that's fine. Um, That's great. They do have to maintain a certain number of American teams percentage-wise in order to keep their sanctioning. And for whatever Bill says about not worrying about the West Coast and U.S. soccer pulling their sanctioning, they they probably don't want to add too much to to the list of problems.
3: No, absolutely. You know, Jason, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Uh, I know what you mean about the the USF and you know the the requirements of American teams. I'm saying if this World women's World Cup is a big success and those sponsors start to come in droves, which you know I hope happens uh, uh, to the CSA. Um, th- that Canadian division that was talked about, you know, you know, many months ago, uh, that starts to look like more and more of a possibility. And if I'm the NASL, I and traffic for that matter, I definitely want to get involved with that, especially with this resistance at home that the and NA- the NASL is currently going through.
1: Yep, uh, Vince in Toronto, appreciate the phone call, man. Thanks a lot. T- uh, take yeah. care, Dave. Thanks, uh, Vince. Three four seven seven five six. Six two seven six. This being a solo uh, interview program, probably wrap it up in just a few minutes. If you want to jump in, now is your chance. If you want to talk about the uh, USA Switzerland game, uh, maybe I should wait for that lineup. If that's coming out, the game's. I think the kickoff is twelve oh eight. So I'm not sure that we're gonna make it to uh, one hour before kickoff. But if they release the, if they release the lineup now, in the next couple of minutes. And certainly we can begin to look at it and see what Jurgen Klinsmann is trying to do. Again, coming back to that problem. The, and I say it's a problem because, yeah, these are friendlies and ultimately don't, they don't matter, but, but you at least want to see some sort of step-by-step progress. It's never going to be obvious. You're never going to take a bunch of games and go, well, look, they did this thing in this game, then they got a little bit better in this game, and they took another third step. No, it's not going to be like that. Just as the growth of American soccer, NESL, MLS, whatever, is not going to be a straight line. going to have plateaus it's going to have a couple of dips the same goes for the u.s men's national team on any sort of timeline whether it's a timeline between the beginning of the year and the gold cup whether it's a four-year timeline for jurgen klinsman whether it's a 20-year timeline for the health of the program and the improvement of the program that applies to the the quality of the product on the field as a team the quality of the individual players the technical ability of the individual players, the coaching ability, the coaching that's throughout the system. This is why every single time there's any sort of success in a moderately sized country or a country with limited resources when compared to the U.S. Now, this is the argument I always get when we sort of put the, the American team in context. Well, the just doesn't have the talent. Really, he doesn't have good enough players. So we should cut him some slack. How? What do you expect him to do? How do you expect him to win? The first argument is, oh, well, there's millions of players here. Yeah, there are. But you can't account for the coaching at every level. You can't account account for the competition at every level that these kids are getting. It's not just a numbers game. You have to apply correct pressure to those numbers in order to spit out enough professional players to make yourself a quality national team. And I do think that, as a whole, American soccer fans are a little spoiled by what was accomplished at the beginning of the century. And I'm not going to call it... I uh, made this argument before, but I'm not. Uh, and I, maybe I'll, I'll change my terminology here. But I've called it a golden generation. And I don't mean that in, oh, they should go win World Cups, or, oh, they should go win... You know, to the semifinals, whatever. The United States came within a hair of the semifinals with a group of players who were focused, were a team, were established as a group with a couple of young players, young, exciting players thrown in. Some of the most talented players the United States has ever produced. We're tossed into that 2002 team. Demarcus Beasley, Landon Donovan. But you consider the group that, that, that was really the core of that team. Claudio Reyna, John O'Brien, Brian McBride, Eddie Pope, Tony Sana. These guys, that was it. That was it for them. That's what they that was their ends. That was where they were supposed to to be at in that team. Fighting for the U.S. And I'm not gonna Thomas Rogan mentioned yesterday something about the dual internationals. And I really want to focus on that because if you're good enough and you're a citizen, you play. But on some level, whether it's the dual internationals or the Americans who are just American, you wonder about whether that singular focus exists anymore. And and maybe the, it helped the United States be a better team in 2002 than they really had any right to be. 704, you're on the air.
0: Hey, Jason, it's Cam. Great show. How What's are up? you?
1: What's going on, Cam? I'm waxing poetic about the national team. It's bad.
0: <laughs> well, partner, I just want to say, great show. Uh, thank you for having Bill Peterson on, uh, talking about NASL. I, I just want to comment on the U.S. national team, because I heard the Thomas Rongan interview on yesterday, and I thought it was, man, it blew my mind when I heard him say that he didn't think Jurgen Clinton was the right fit for the national team for this cycle. Um, to hear a coach of his stature with his history on U.S. soccer blew my mind.
1: Well, real quick, Cam, I just want to provide some context, because it was pointed out to me. On Twitter, and I, I knew this already, but I mean, it was brought to the to the forefront when this sort of when this when his some of his comments ended up on the wire in a couple of places. D- Thomas Rongen, sure. he left the program just as Jurgen Klinsmann was coming in. I'm not right. sure that the, I don't know what their relationship is. I don't know that they have one necessarily, but that you know, just consider that. I, I, I'm not saying that there's any anything untoward on the part of Thomas Rongen, but you should consider. Rogan's position within that program before Klinsman and after Clinsman.
0: Sure, and I took that in consideration, but I think professionally, to hear a coach of his stature and to make that comment, I think it says something. And as a viewer and a fan of U.S. soccer, the fact that the team doesn't truly have an identity at this stage of the game as a viewer and a fan, that tells me something. You know, I can't think of under a Bruce arena team or even Bob Bradley's team. I never questioned did the team have an identity. Right. And to me, I mean, that says something. Doesn't it say something to you?
1: I think it does. I think it does. I think that, but I, but again, I think that where I get to is coming up once again, up to that fork in the road. That is okay. Do I want to be, do I want to be content with what the Americans have been and just try to maximize that? Because, Hey, it did get us to the quarterfinals of a World Cup, it did get us to a Confederations Cup final, it has won us many a Gold Cup, or do I want to go down that other fork that says you really need to to sort of blow things up a little bit in order to reconstitute them into a team that plays a different sort of soccer that may have a higher ceiling when it comes to ultimate success.
0: And I think that's an excellent point, but you made a point on yesterday that I thought was very... Um, insightful as well on yesterday when you said, you know, and I, you and I talked about this before, the U.S. national team pool has never been deeper. I've never seen so many young, talented kids playing soccer that are technically better than the teams of 2002, Bruce Arena teams, or, you know, even the, the Bob Bradley team. But the difference is, is that where's the next Land Landon Donovan? Mm. And I question, is the coaching really better? Is, Tab Ra- is, is, is um, Richie Williams, the Tab Ramos teams, when I watched U-17, are those teams better coached than when Bruce Arena was heading up the program and, and implementing at the very beginning a lot of the same philosophies that you see Jurgen Klinsmann, who's a better cheerleader, yeah. advocating for?
1: Uh, those are tough those no. questions. Can that those are really, really tough questions because of, of sort of not being a, not having enough uh information to really go down that road. I mean, uh, you, you, you 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 should consider, and again, this is part of the transition that the United States is going through as a soccer nation that has an impact on the national team, and it's a transition from okay, we've got a bunch of kids here, they've got some talent, they really have nowhere to go to maximize that talent. Let's create Bradenton and we'll have an academy. We'll bring in um we'll bring in a bunch of kids every year and there will be a class and they'll be in residency and, and and we'll get them daily coaching and daily training and and we'll get them competitive matches and that's the way we maximize our talent to what we've got now which is tw- you know not ju- not even 20 years later and it's sort of well now we are being mined by all of these other clubs whether it's like MLS academies, foreign clubs, Mexican clubs and our most talented kids aren't really in the residency program like they used to be. I mean, first of all, when you're at U17 level, you're talking about a thousand kids who are probably good enough to, to shoot up for the national team. And, and it's difficult to identify who's the best of the bunch. So you've, but you've got all of these guys spread out now rather than sort of focusing on that one. And I'm not saying Bradenton was a success. It obviously produced one really good class, but sure. I'm just saying that in terms of the transition, uh, the the process of growing up as a soccer nation, now we have to consider that these guys are getting most of their instruction outside of the U.S. system.
0: Right, as they should. In the rest of the world, club teams develop players, not national teams. And the U.S., for the first time, at least in the 25 years that I've been watching U.S. soccer, I see more club teams investing in youth development than I've ever seen in my life of watching U.S. soccer. And I've never, although I thought Bradenton was perfect for the time in which the evolution and maturity of the U.S. national, U.S. soccer community and, and program, was, it was perfect for when it was needed. Now you see more foreign scouts coming to the U.S., you see more, thanks to MLS, greater investment at the club level, U.S. clubs investing in youth development. And on the one level, you can say there are more people scouting than ever before. But the difference that I see is there are more U.S. players, American players, failing in Europe or being mediocre or struggling. Freddie Adu's failure is more of a reflection on coaching as well as on the individual. Yeah, he says an I'll an never forget when Landon yeah. Donovan at his retirement talked about the mental and psychological side yeah. of his development. Sure,
1: and look, Landon had issues at 17 going to Germany. Freddie is an outlier. Kim, I got to go because I'm going to talk about this U.S. national team uh, lineup. But uh, K- Freddie Do is a complete outlier. He, 14 year old kids being crowned the king of American soccer and put into a fully senior national or se- fully senior senior professional team should not happen. I'm sorry, it just should not happen. Maybe if he was 17, but they didn't have anywhere to stash him back then, so they signed him up for his half million dollar contract gave him his Sierra Miss commercials and threw him out there for DC United or threw him into the roster for DC United and then you obviously had um, uh, Peter Novak not playing. The U.S. Men's National Team, a lineup for this game against Switzerland today. It kicks off at a, like 12.10 uh, Eastern time on uh, Fox Sports 1. Nick Romano in goal, Timmy Chandler right back, Orozco, uh, Michael Orozco and John Anthony Brooks, John Brooks, excuse me, in the middle, Breck Shea on the left, Alejandro Bedoya, Danny Williams, Michael Bradley, and Alfredo Morales in the midfield. Jassy Zardes and Josie Altidore up top. So it looks like a 4-4-2. We'll see how this goes. It's a pretty sensible lineup. The Morales' inclusion is a little interesting for me, but that does give Klinsman some... uh, uh so, oh, here we go. Uh this is from SI soccer. Breck Shea left back. Giasi Zardis starting at forward, not wide midfield. That's yeah, that that's definitely uh what I saw there. And Danny Williams in center mid. Yes. Yeah, so Alfredo Morales on the right is a little interesting. Other than that, I'm okay with that lineup. Um there you go. Anything else that we should talk about today? Got to go. You got to go right now. 347 756 6276. You've got about two minutes before I wrap this episode up. Partly because I need to get home so I can watch the U.S. play Switzerland. Because that's I'm going to go and put myself through that pain today. Hopefully, they'll be able to hang on. If they can, if they can get a lead, they got to get a lead first. Well, they can hang on for the last 10 minutes or so of the, of the game. Because I'd like to see some sort of success. A draw would be nice. Can we get a draw? Maybe. Clinsman making progress. Gold Cup gonna go well. How do you guys feel about the national team right now? All right, all right. No calls coming in, so I think I'm gonna wrap this up. Again, thank you very much to Bill Peterson, and North American Soccer League uh, commissioner, for joining us to talk about his season and his league. Make sure you check out the games on ESPN3 this weekend. Some excellent uh, tilts on the schedule, including Strikers Cosmos for you, uh, for you nostalgia freaks out there. Um, go to backheel.com store to buy yourself a soccer morning coffee mug it's great, makes tof- coffee taste great it's got magical properties see, uh, go to 3 com to buy yourself a soccer morning t-shirt I think that's it, I think we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the program something, something good will happen, we'll talk about the USA game, whatever happens today gets Switzerland. Uh, thanks to th- uh, thanks to those of you who called in and tweeted, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.